Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,825. 1,825. Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the inspired words of God. May they produce faith in all who hear them. Well, we're beginning a new series today on Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi. And while today's scripture seems rather light, only two verses, I assure you the words are weighty. For Paul's introduction sets the whole tone for this letter. But before we dig into this book, I want to briefly talk about the background of this epistle. And to do so, we must answer questions like, when was it written? What was Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi? What was going on at the time? Why did Paul write this letter? And why was it included in our canon of scripture? First, Paul's relationship with his church from the book of Acts, we learn that it was Paul who first brought the gospel message to Philippi. You see, it was on, on a journey that he was having. He was delivering letters from the Jerusalem council concerning the Judaizing heresy that was spreading among the churches. After these letters had been distributed to the different cities, Paul then decided he wanted to travel further bring the gospel message to other people. He first desired to go into Asia and proclaim Christ to those people, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to preach there. He then tried to enter into Bithynia, but Acts says that the Spirit of Jesus did not permit him to enter. Finally, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia begging for him to come and help them. So Paul and his companions took that as God's sign of where they were supposed to go and preach. Now, Philippi was a leading city in Macedonia. It was founded by Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. You see, nearby this, uh, nearby this city, there were gold and silver mines. And so this city became important and wealthy. The original inhabitants, they were having problems with their neighbors as they were feuding over who controlled the wealth coming out of these mines. And so these original inhabitants, they sought out Philip for help. This Grecian king was more than willing to lend them a hand. And eventually he fortified the city with walls and renamed it after himself. 
It was from there that Philip used the golden rule to establish Greek, Greece as a major world power. You know the golden rule, right? He who has the gold rules. <laughs> yeah, do unto others. That's, that's the real golden rule, but um, that wasn't Philip's golden rule. Well, 400 years had passed since Philip took charge, and Paul was now bringing into the city something more valuable than the precious metals that can be dug out of the earth. For he carried with him the saving message of Christ. The first to receive this message were some of the women who had gathered uh, just outside the city gate near the river. Lydia was a trader in purple cloth, and she believed and welcomed Paul into her home. And so the church in Philippi was born. Yet Paul's stay in the city was brief. For one day, as he was walking to the place of prayer, he was harassed by a demon-possessed girl who was a slave. This girl could predict the future. And for many days, she followed Paul and his friends around shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Paul was so troubled by this that he finally cast the demon out, freeing the girl from demonic control. To say the least, this displeased her masters as their hope for making money was suddenly gone. So these slave owners, when they found out what happened, they took Paul and Silas to the authorities and they had them stripped beaten, and thrown into jail. While in prison, God sent a mighty earthquake that loosened the shackles of all the prisoners and unlatched the prison doors. When the guard awoke and saw what happened, he was ready to kill himself on account of losing his prisoners. But Paul and all the other prisoners remained inside the jail cell. And eventually this guard and his whole household were led to the Lord. Well, the next day, the city officials learned that Paul and Silas, that they were both Roman citizens. So they became very apologetic. Yet they still asked them to leave their city. So Paul spent one last day at Lydia's house, encouraging this newly founded church. And then he traveled on to Thessalonica. In his absence, he had left Luke to care for these young baby Christians. Yet throughout the years, Paul remained in contact with, the, with these believers. And they continually aided this apostle by giving towards his missionary work. Well, roughly ten years had passed from the founding of this church to when Paul wrote this letter that we are studying today. Most scholars believe that it was written during, right around the year A.D. 60. During this time, Paul was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. He, you see, he had appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen and was awaiting his trial there. The Philippian church heard news of Paul's troubles, and what they did was they took up an offering to aid the apostle in his time of need. 
And so they sent Epaphroditus, one of their brothers in the faith, on a journey from Philippi to Rome, tasking him to deliver this monetary gift along with a letter that they had written for Paul. And though we don't have this letter today, we can infer some things about what was written from Paul's response. For one, we can assume that they described some of their own struggles that they were having as a church, for Paul addressed these issues. It is also very likely that they requested to have Timothy sent to Philippi in order to aid them in these trials, for this is also something that Paul would comment on. Now, this journey from Philippi to Rome would have taken roughly two months. But along the way, Epaphroditus became ill almost to the point of death and could not reach Paul in a timely manner. This delay would have caused worry to the faithful in Philippi, for it was probably close to a year before they received a response. The Philippian church, they would have been anxious not only for Paul, but for their brother, Epaphroditus. So Paul wrote this letter in order to thank them for their gift and to alleviate their worries, as well as to address the problems that the church was facing, of which the solution was God's sanctification by means of humility and sound doctrine. So in essence, this epistle to the church in Philippi was a thank you note with instruction. So let's dig into verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now in the first century AD, this was a typical standard greeting that you would find on a letter between friends. It begins with the author and then moves forward to the recipients. Pretty standard stuff unless you look a bit closer. The first thing to know was that Timothy was included in this greeting because he was actively involved in the formation of the church as well and was now supporting Paul during his imprisonment. And as we'll see later, as we progress in this epistle, the church in Philippi, they had requested for Timothy to return to them. Yet Paul could not spare his younger brother in the faith during his ordeals. So he made sure to include his name in the authorship as a gesture of goodwill. Another thing to, know, to notice is that the title Paul used to describe Timothy and himself was, was the word servants. Now normally in his letters, he would introduce himself as Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. But here, this, this term servant of Christ Jesus is used to describe their positions. Now, I prefer the Holman Christian Standard Bible translation of verse 1 a little bit better, for I feel they are clearer of what Paul is communicating here. This is how they translate verse 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, there's not much of a difference between the NIV and the HCSB, yet one word 
stands out. Where the NIV uses the title servants, the HTSB uses the title slaves. The Greek word here is douloi, which is the plural of doulos, which means slave. The reason our modern translations change slave into servant has a lot to do with our own history of slavery and the shame that is attributed with the word. But this change takes away much of the power of what Paul was trying to communicate to the church in Philippi. Unfortunately, some of the reformers thought that there was too much of a negative stigma attached to the word, even though they knew what doulos meant. So almost every translation you see today will either use the word servant or bond servant. Yet if we want to get to the truth of what God's word says, slave is a better term here. For doulos describes a person who belongs to another person. In other words, they don't have any ownership rights of their own. Now, if Paul wanted to say that he was a servant of Christ, there were other Greek words that he could have chosen to use there. For instance, diakonos, which we translate as deacon. It has the meaning of servant and would have been a decent choice. Or the word huperetes is another good selection, for it can mean a helper or somebody who serves with his hands. But Paul chooses doulos instead, knowing full well the dishonor that is attached to such a name. When other ancient Greek manuscripts are translated, those that aren't the Bible, the word doulos is always translated as slave. Only when it comes to the Bible do translators back away from its intended meaning. It's a shame that the majority of our English translations are not bold enough to stand firm on what doulos originally meant. For a servant and a slave are not the same thing. For one, a servant can make the free choice of whether or not to serve someone without fear of repercussions. A slave did not have that luxury. If they disobeyed, they would either be flogged or even sometimes put to death. Also, a servant can serve more than one person, giving them the opportunity to negotiate their terms of employment. They could even be employed by two people at the same time. Yet a slave can only have one master. Third, a servant can better their life by saving what they have earned, while a slave owns nothing. So as you see, our modern use of the word servant here takes away some of the potency of Paul's greeting and what he intended to communicate to the church in Philippi. Now there are a couple of reasons that Paul uses this title doulos. The first being that it describes the true state of a Christian. Look with me again at our first scripture reading. In Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? 
Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to, to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there is a lot going on in this text, and I'm not going to take the time to exegete every little verse here. Um, but if this simple read-through should suffice to stress the point that I'm trying to make. Nine times this word, doulos, or a variant of this word, is used to describe our situation as human beings. Paul here is trying to argue that a true Christian should not use God's grace as an excuse to sin. And to make his point, he uses slavery to describe the state of all human beings. Either a person is a slave to sin, or they are a slave to righteousness. At one time, these Christians were under the control of sin. They did not have freedom from its power. Sin ordered their lives, commanding their behavior. But now they have been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. Holiness is what they are to conform to. For when they were slaves to sin, righteousness had no control over them. Yet God had now purchased them by the blood of his Son. Therefore, they are slaves to God. And the benefit of having God as your master is both holiness and eternal life. This is a Christian life. Freedom from the chains of sin and bondage to the one who had redeemed you. Your old master desired for you to be corrupted and to experience death. But your new master wants you to be righteous and to have life. This was Paul's view of the Christian life. And it should be your view as well. Now, Paul's second reason for using this term, doulos, was to set an example for these Philippian believers concerning their attitude, the attitude that they should have as they suffer for Christ's name. Again, as we progress throughout this letter, we'll see that humility is the way of Christ, and it should be the way of the believer as well. 
Paul is leading by example here, donning this title for both him and Timothy of doulos, or slave. Yet Paul uses a different term as he addressed these believers. Let's look at the second part of verse 1 again. He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Paul calls these Philippian believers saints. The Greek word here is hagios. And it means those who are set apart or those who are holy. This is the same root word from which we get the term sanctify. And sanctification is a major emphasis in this letter. Sanctification is a process that God takes a believer through, purifying them from their sins. You see, God separates his sh- the sheep from the goats. He prepares his children for their ultimate destination, the new heavens and the new earth, where they will be in the presence of a holy God for all eternity. These Philippian faithful They are set apart in Christ Jesus. They are holy to the Lord. In other words, they are saints. And notice too that he's not referring to those who have high positions within the church. For how does he address them? To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. These overseers and deacons hold the titles of authority within the church. They bear the responsibility of serving the flock. The saints are the parishioners. This is one of the areas where the Roman Catholic Church gets it absolutely wrong. For them, saints are few and far between. They are these high and lofty ones that hold a special position with God. But that that view doesn't agree with the biblical text. Saints are not dead people that we can pray to in our times of trouble. No. Biblically, a saint is any person who has true, repentant faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For those Jesus justifies, he also sanctifies. He makes them saints. Christ sets them apart for his Father. Remember, as a Christian, you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. You are no longer under the ownership of sin, but your master is now God. And as slaves of Christ Jesus, he releases you from sin's bondage, setting you apart from the world, making you saints of God. Well, let's continue on with our passage. Let's look at verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the normal way that these letters were written in the first century AD was to simply say the word greetings. But Paul starts off almost every letter that he writes with this phrase, grace and peace to you. This is a distinctively Christian way of saying hello. 
It is more than a general greeting, but it is a blessing as well. You see, both grace and peace come from God. It is by God's grace that the offer for the forgiveness of sins is granted. And it is only through the forgiveness of sins that man can be reconciled to God, bringing peace to a person. So grace is Christ's gift that brings about the shalom or the peace of God. So let's review. Paul, he sees himself as a slave of Christ Jesus because God purchased him through the payment that was Jesus' shed blood upon the cross. He was released from the slavery of sin, and now his new master is God. He is a slave to righteousness. And he is writing to the saints in Philippi, whom have also been purchased by God. And God is now sanctifying them, setting them apart from sin and from the world. He is preparing them for their new home, where they will be in God's presence for all eternity. They are his saints. Paul then greets them with the message of the gospel, grace and peace. Grace being God's work of forgiveness for sinners, and peace being the blessing of being reconciled to the Father. Dear friends, if you are in Christ, then this is God's message for you today. For you were once enslaved to sin. You were not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, God calls you to the sanctifying life of a Christian. He calls you to be his saint. And he blesses you with his grace and with his peace. Your sins have been forgiven and you have been reconciled to him. All of this comes to you through the blood of Jesus who died for you. After all, it was Christ who became a slave to all. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He was then glorified through his resurrection and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he did all of this in order that you could become saints of God and that you could have forgiveness and peace. It's with this in mind that Paul sets the stage for his letter to the church in Philippi. The humility of a slave, the purity of a saint, and the grace and peace that can only come to you from God. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand the truths that are in your word. We don't want to be people who, who back away from what you have communicated to us but we desire to stand firm in your word. For it was your son who demonstrated to us what it meant to be a slave to God. As he was heading to the cross, he prayed, yet not my will, but yours be done. He followed your commands without 
disobedience, and without complaint. For that, we are eternally grateful. We ask now that you would sanctify us by your Holy Spirit. Let your grace and peace be upon our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.